This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org podcast. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. <laughs> I sh- quite. You're listening to Radio, radio Lab. Lab. The podcast. From New York Public Radio. Public Radio. WNYC. And NPR. Three, two, one. Hello, I'm Jada Boomrah. And I'm Robert Krilwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast, and uh, we're working busily on season five. We thought while we do that, we would bring you a little uh, extra. Something. So it's an extra. Yeah, a little extra. So we very recently went to the Kushland Science Museum, run by the National Academy of Sciences in Washington, D.C., yes. to talk to an audience. Not Well, there were a bunch of scientists there, but they weren't all scientists. No, they were mostly just, just people. And we asked those just people <laughs> to consider three very puzzling radio questions that we have every time we put our show together. So here is that conversation. So we figure since this is a science place, you guys are probably science-inclined folk, uh, we would talk about some of the troubles that we run into when we talk about science, or try to. Problems like density, like unfriendliness of ideas, but they're great ideas, but how do you somehow make them friendly to people who maybe don't like or don't know that they like science. So we're going to kind of go through some of our uh, favorite problem-solving yeah, techniques. We have hurdles. Uh, the, uh, the, the most obvious hurdle is when you step into a room to have a conversation with someone who is smart, knowledgeable, very knowledgeable actually, and articulate, and they start talking and you think in the back of your mind, uh-oh. And they write papers like, uh, which is going to be the subject of our first clip, Selective Silencing of Cell Communication and How It Influences Anterior-Posterior Pattern Formation in C. elegans, which yeah. is a heavy collection of words. Yeah. It's like heavy like a, like a hippo, which is a, which is a wonderful animal, but heavy. And so I think one of our, our goals is to take the hippo and strap on some ballet shoes and make it uh, do a pirouette. So here is an example. What you're going to hear is a woman named Cynthia Kenyon, brilliant scientist. She's talking about a little worm that she has, um, she has figured out. She's done something to the worm that allows the worm to live longer than the worm would ordinarily live. Not just a little longer, but like twice as long. Um, so just imagine that you're the one holding the mic, and this is what you hear. The DAF-16 gene makes a protein called the DAF16 protein. And that protein binds to the DNA where other genes are, and it, it activates a whole bunch of other genes. So the way it works is that the hormone binds to the DAF2 receptor. And when that happens, DAF2 receptor um, 
kind of squashes the activity of DAF16. It turns it down, okay? So DAF16 can't bind to its, its uh, genes in the DNA and make them more active, okay? So when you come along with a mutation or some other way and you inhibit the activity of the receptor, now you liberate DAF16. It's free. It springs into action, and it activates about 100 genes in the, in the DNA. And these 100 genes each do a little tiny good thing for the cell. Okay, so yeah, you're sitting there going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. <laughs> As if you know what she's saying. No, I do. I do know what she's saying, but it's just interesting. Like you're scanning somebody talking like that, and you know you're hearing the right. You're hearing squish. I think she said squish. I think she said spring. Liberate. So, she said liberate. Liberate. Yeah. Great so her word. verbs are her verbs are very very useful to me. It's these nouns. Uh, daft. Uh, yes. Daft two. Daft, daft two. sixteen. All right. So what do you do with a thing like that? What we've done here is we've, uh, we've used the verbs, we're, we're happy with the verbs, but we've amplified and accessorized the nouns, I think. No, I think it's, uh, I think it's the other way around, actually. We, we, we stole the nouns, replaced them with our own, and we amped up the verbs. No, no. We took the nouns and we made them much more colorful, anthropomorphized them, gave them yes, character, yes, rich, right. rich storytelling. Now we're on the same page. Yeah. Okay, here, here's right, what we here did. When we uh, make a mutation in the DAF2 gene, we damage it that actually causes it not to work as well. So that actually is kind of profound. That tells you right away that the worm has a gene in it that's shortening the worm's lifespan. Which is why she calls it the Grim Reaper gene. The, the Grim Reaper gene. It's the gene that makes you die. If you're a worm. Right. So, by damaging this gene, Cynthia and her team essentially are taking the Grim Reaper... <laughs> and knocking no! his knees out. No! Oh, stop that! Oh! Okay, so the question is, what exactly is the DAF2 doing to make the cell age more quickly? Here's where the story gets a little uh, weird. Well, we found another gene who, whose name is also DAF, but it's a different DAF. It's called DAF16. DAF16! And this is a gene whose normal function is to keep you young. <laughs> it's like a fountain of youth gene. So, wait, there, there was a Grim Reaper gene before. Right. And now there's a fountain of youth gene? That's what she discovered. And inside the worms, these genes are struggling with each other. Here's how it works when, it, when a worm ages normally. The DAF2 receptor... DAF2. ...kind of squashes the activity of DAF16. It turns it down. Silence! And so the worm ages. Okay. So when you come along and you inhibit the activity of the DAF2 receptor, Ouch! now you liberate DAF16. It's free. It springs into action. And it activates about 100 genes in the DNA. These 100 genes each do a little tiny good thing for the cell. And altogether, it makes the cell live twice as long. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Now the question is, and you know, we come. I come out of National Public Radio. He comes out of sort of WNYC. So we come out of a sort of strong journalism tradition. Mm -hmm. You can't do any of these things in a newsroom. For, uh, for one of the issues here is is how much should you embroider? Yeah. It's also. I mean, the question I think also is how stupid do you want to be? Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, th this is something that we always argue about because there are, I mean, there's a thousand things we left out. And if pure scientists would be very upset, perhaps, sometimes, 
at all of the things that we didn't say here. On the other hand, it is not an in, and I speak from the television tradition where stupid is our middle name. We, we, <laughs> uh, we, we I mean, I, get, I have been in network television for so long that if anything gets a little too complicated, I instantly turned to him and said, no, just cut it. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Because we don't have to go there, and then we just save ourselves all the sweat and all the bother. So what you do is you sort of, um, you watch each, we watch each other's eyeballs to see, like, when have we come to the very, very, very yeah. edge of acceptable stupidity? Just, uh, and, and repetition. Yeah. And repetition, yeah. yeah. And then that's where we rest. Well, that is the second technique we want to get yeah, to. Yeah, uh, we want to talk about music. We wanted to sort of talk a bit about how we use the music and, and uh, what are the principles that guide those choices. And to do that, I wanted to play a clip. Again, this is raw tape of, uh, of a very interesting guy, a mathematician that we really like. We talked to a lot. His name is Steve Strogatz, who we were talking to him about, I forget what, and he just told us this thing about fireflies. So this is the raw raw tape here. In, not here, but in, in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia or Thailand, there are enormous uh, congregations of fireflies along riverbanks. I mean, picture it. There's a riverbank in Thailand in the remote part of the jungle. You're in a canoe, slipping down the river. There's no sound of anything, maybe the occasional, you know, exotic jungle bird or something. And you're looking and you just see, I mean, I can't do it, it's radio, but I, it, you see whoop, whoop, whoop with thousands of lights on and then off, all in sync. So that's a little clip of tape that uh, I remember when he, he said that, we, we kind of looked at each other like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. We can, we can work with that. It's also very painterly. You get the whole idea. You know you're on a river. You know you're seeing things. So there's no particular reason to add anything. Mm. But However, mm. um, here's, here's that same clip of tape all gussied up. Um, here's what we did with it. Picture it. There's a river bank in Thailand in the remote part of the jungle. You're in a canoe, slipping down the river. There's no sound of anything, maybe the occasional, you know, exotic jungle bird or something. And you're looking and you just see... Whoop, 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 with thousands of lights on and then off, all in sync. Imagine all the trees, as far as you can see, are all brilliantly lit and then totally dark. Brilliantly lit, total darkness. All of them in sync. Yeah, and no Westerner had ever seen this site. There was folklore, there was the stories about it, but nobody had gone in and photographed and captured samples. Well, not until 1965. This was done by John Buck. John Buck, B-U-C-K. One of the great researchers. According to the records, I'm 92. Buck and his wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Mast Buck. Went to Thailand and uh, captured bags full of male fireflies. You could just reach up and shake the branches and the fireflies would rain down. And brought them back to their hotel room. And we turned off the lights. We turned them loose. And saw that the fireflies flittered around on the walls and ceiling. They flew back and forth. Flashing randomly. Elizabeth lay on the floor of the room. I was just tired. John stayed awake, and he was the one who saw. Within a few minutes, little groups, duos and trios, formed. And after a while... The fourth one would join in. They got closer and closer together, and then finally they were 
sacred eyes. The whole room was blinking in perfect harmony. He was excited the next morning when he told me about it. (laughs) (laughs) 20 years later, John Buck is still asking this question. Well, what is going on? Today on Radiolab, we will do as Steve urges and step away from the individual to find mystery, beauty, and order in the group. So, there's a real question that that I want to ask. Do all the noises and the bleeps enhance what Steve Strogatz, the story he told us, or does it rob it? in some sort of way. I don't know. I, mean, I, I have a prejudice just because uh, of my, my sheer awe of some of the, of the deep musicality of things like that. This is Jan's territory, so he's not allowed to say, but there is something about um, just the bucks, for example. You hear, first of all, a string of voices. So you hear Robert's voice, you hear Jad's voice, those are sort of radio-y voices, and then you hear Steve Strogatz's voice, which is a rich voice. And then these two fabulously strange people, one of whom sounds like he's just basically made of sawdust. And I don't know what's with Mrs. Buck. She seems to be hanging upside down or whatever. (laughs) But when you pick those things, so you get, oh, and and you get this strange, crazy quilt of of just, um, of, of raw ingredients just in the sound. And, you know, a lot of people would listen to the Bucks and say, well, we can't use them, they're a little hard to hear, a little hard to understand. But this isn't that. This is a guy who just jumps in with both feet and gets happy that we're going to get gradations and variety in, and that's just the sound of voices. Let's talk about uh, something else. Uh, how about the, 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 the problem of okay, we and yeah. they? Okay, yeah. Right? So, uh, so what have we done? We've done, uh, what was our first one? We, we did, did uh, uh, analogies, metaphor. Yeah. Number two is... Music and stuff. Music and stuff. Uh, number three, be personal, be third grade. Let me explain what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so so the, uh, the National Science Foundation and other people have done a lot of surveys to, to see how people feel about science. And when they ask people, how do you feel about science? They will say, uh, yeah, you know, I sort of like science. It's okay. Um, But then if you ask the question, have you ever liked science? Well, they say, yeah, you know, when I was in third grade, I loved it. Because we would do these experiments that involved, you know, the absorbency of paper towels and boiling eggs. And it was amazing. It was so much fun. It was like something right in front of me, and it was me. I could do it. And then came the Krebs cycle. Yes. Yes. Somewhere along the way, that joy gets drained away, probably yeah. by the corruption. Right, cycle, yeah. So, yeah. So, so all over in a plot that was probably hatched in some dark cave somewhere, <laughs> not too far from Osama bin Laden, there was a meeting of science teachers from the ninth grade who decided that they would take the simply interesting business of swallowing something and having, having you know, the banana finally get down so bits. it can actually yep. feed each individual cell. Each cell goes, oh, thank you very much, and I'll be the banana. And, you know, this, this, this turned into a championship memorization contest in which you had to learn cycles within cycles within cycles within cycles within cycles and why 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 here's why because the ninth grade teacher wanted to say actually thank you very much Danny Sheila and Freddie you are the scientists the other 37 of you can go home now yes and in an interest to invite those other 37 back in Right. Um, we uh, we are, we take a decidedly yes. anti Krebsian <laughs> approach, and we, we it's a, we live in a state of permanent third gradeness in yes. the sense that we want yeah. this to be something that feels like uh, like uh, like it, that it's yours again. And so the ways that we do that just sort of subtly 
are when Robert and I go and talk to somebody, we always use the sound of us walking in the door, knocking on the door. It's like the most important so- sound in all of Radiolab is that sound of knocking on the door. I don't know why exactly. Why is that? Well, it's because it's, it's the sound of discovery. It's like uh, it's no, a way of it's inviting the sound of saying, people can to I come, come into your room. That's not a discovery. Well, it's the sound of saying rather than a scientist at a podium, it's a scientist who is in a space that we can go visit and have an adventure with. Okay. So then we have one other objection that regularly gets thrown at us all the time, uh, mostly by there's a guy at NPR named Robert Smith, excellent, excellent reporter, who will lean over what I'm doing all the time and say, so what's it with you? What's it with you? I said, why? Why? Why?" He says, "Uh, why everybody else here goes out into the world and, you know, if you're going to interview a cat, you go find a cat. You make up a cat. Why can't you just go find the world as it lays? Why does everything have to be built from the bottom up? I said, it doesn't have to be. That's, that's not, uh, well, now that you mention it, uh, there is a tendency we have because we enjoy, um, frankly, the, the mm. craftsmanship and the artistry of doing this. But, um, I mean, his criticism of us is that we always sort of make it up. And he was like, why do you always have to make it up? Why don't you just go have an adventure? Don't make up an adventure. Just have one. So we thought, well, yeah. that's kind of a good idea. Not like it hadn't occurred to us before. Well, right? you know, I mean, it's, it's a show about science, but why not just be the science right? yes. in a pseudo sciencey kind of way? Be the experiment, in other words. So, you know, um, try this at home. Yes. yes. To, to what a mistake. Again. What a terrible mistake. <laughs> uh, we bumped into a really interesting opportunity in our latest season um, in the laughter show. Uh, we, we were talking to a, a laugh scientist, and uh, he, told, he told Robert something that Robert didn't quite buy, which led us to have certain ideas. Well, here's the raw tape. Laughter causes laughter. You can throw the joke away. Laughter causes laughter. <laughs> well, it, it, to really prove that, you'd have to give a record in which somebody laughs, and then somebody else laughs, and then you laugh, and then someone else laughs, and nothing's going on except the laugh. Yeah, so... Well, you, you can't get a laugh going from nothing. If well, actually, you, actually, you can. <laughs> so he claims. Yeah. Now, I just thought that was ridiculous. I mean, I think you have to start with something. Someone has to fall down on a banana peel or something. But he pointed out, and this is true, that a lot of laughter is, hey, you want to go get a sandwich? <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot of social laughter. It isn't having yep. to do with funny. I said, no, but, but, but I mean, I'm talking about laughter laughter. Yeah. You think you can get laughter laughter going from just laughter? And he, he said, said he, his, he it's he his put. idea that there are certain laughs that have a kind of biologically contagious property. And that if you laugh in a certain way, other people in the room can't help but laugh. So we thought, hmm. We'll, we'll, why don't we try this? Wait, so if he's right, theoretically, Robert and I should be able to go up to Union Square, get into a crowded subway train, and just start laughing. And through the sheer verve of our laughter, <laughs> that laughter should spread. This was our experimental design was that I would walk in. We four of us prepared. Two of us had tape recorders and recording equipment. They surreptitiously would enter the otherwise crowded Manhattan subway. This is rush hour. Then Jad and I would enter from a different door and put ourselves within the reach of the microphones, which would be invisible to most people on the subway. Yes, here's how it sounded. Okay. Here we are, Union Square. The experiment is about to begin. We enter the train. I show him a book. (laughs) We start to laugh. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
<laughs> Our foreheads are getting very hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing, yeah. nothing. And we tried it. Uh, we tried it over and over and over and over. All right, this is take seven. We're on a downtown six train. <laughs> and we were starting to be like we were the crazy people yeah. in the subway. And it wasn't simply that we weren't on abusing to them. They began to hate us and look at us like we were lepers. Yeah. And it just was not working at all. And we did this pretty much all day because we were like, we are going to crack this one. And but which uh, maybe you know we could have we could have discovered that we have just proven Professor Provine wrong, you know, and laughter right. does not. But no, for some reason, we felt that we ought to do what he thought we could have done had we only done it quote right unquote whatever that was. <laughs> so here's what happened. Um, final uh, trip of the day, we get this notion that okay, well, it hasn't worked the first eleven times, so maybe it'll work this final time. If uh, well, maybe the problem is that we have these two people with us, Lulu uh, Miller, Orion McManus, who are the recorder and they kind of enter the train with us surreptitiously and sit and try and be invisible. But they've got these big machines with yeah, them. So, and so maybe it's the machines are throwing the whole experiment off. I don't know. So we sent them ahead. Yes. And uh, figured they would ride the train uptown. We would get on as if we don't know them. So we were like several stops ahead of them. So they'd, we would enter and no one would make the connection between the the microphone-bearing right. twosome and us. We exactly. have no relation to them at all. Not at this all. This was going to make the entire place scream with laughter, we felt. Yes, exactly. Unbeknownst to us, however, uh, Lulu and Orion uh, hatched a devilish plan. Good afternoon, New Yorkers. I have a quick question. I'm hoping everyone here can help me out a little bit this afternoon. I have a bet with my bosses who are going to get on at the next train, and they don't think that it's possible to get an entire subway car full of people to laugh. I think people are too, you know, uptight. They don't want to have fun, something like that. So, do you think you guys can help me out with, with this? The next, the next stop, they're gonna get on two guys, all right, and they're gonna start laughing, all right, and we're just gonna kind of like chuckle, and then we're gonna see if we get the whole train to just be roaring. Can we do that? Yeah. yeah? All right. You guys, can you guys hang on? There were kids on this train, there were nuns on this train, there was, was like a whole schmear of people on this train. We had no idea that this was happening. We were standing on the platform expecting yet another failure, and, uh, and uh, here's what happened. This is the train arriving. Okay, here comes the sixth train, take 12. So we get on the train again. I take out a book, I point the book to Jan's our excuse for the humorous interaction. We start to laugh in a moment. You're gonna love this. <laughs> the place went crazy. <laughs> I was so frightened. I tell you. It was the most terrifying thing we've ever experienced, bar none. Because to go from nothing, 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 and then to go to everything, it was, we ran out of the train. We were frightened. This is actually our reaction afterwards. Oh my God, it's like being with too many clowns coming out of the little Volkswagen, you know? 50 of them laughing. Oh, Wait a second. That made my day.
Oh, no, not uh, me. I just thought, oh, my God, I've just gone into hell. <laughs> I don't know, because it was too big. It was, too big it was so instant, it. too. Yes, it was so was, instant. The whole place. So, I don't know what the dr- lesson to draw from that, really. Um, Make it up. That's what the lesson is. <laughs> Make it up. Or leave down. the science to the professionals. Yeah, perhaps? leave the science to the professionals. Um, so uh, I guess the, the other thing that we've, then we'll finish and you can ask questions if you want uh, is that we try to hope that maybe that the, the, um, the, the surprise and the kind of, uh, frankly, just delight of having a conversation together is somehow um, an ingredient that other people, if you turn on the radio or you turn on your iPod or whatever, and you hear this, that you kind of, there's an image I have uh, from the New Yorker, I think, or from someone who a, a kid learned how to read and uh, got very, very excited by books. She was maybe four or five years old, and she, she just loved books, maybe three, four years old. And one day her mother walked in and found the, the little girl standing on the picture book with her toes kind of trying to curl. And the mother said, what are you trying to do? And the kid said, I'm trying to get in the book. Um, and I, I was kind of hoping that, you know, among other, other things, that, that this program would create a sense of just a happy exploration that people, when they hear it, would just want to take off their socks and, and stick and their toes the and try to get in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in any case, I mean, do you guys have any questions? Yeah, that's our presentation, more or less, so we can go to questions. Yeah. We're, uh, well, you, why don't you go to this person here in the green, and then we'll... I just wanted you to speak a little bit about the introduction, which you know, obviously has layers and time shifting. And I'm getting old enough that I find that a little annoying. <laughs> and why? See, you know. Oh, that yeah. Yes. It's weird. There's been a lot of emails about that recently. Did you send us an email? <laughs> you know, I, I'm a bit annoyed by it too, frankly. I want to really? change it, but I made all of those in one feverish night. About four years ago, and I'm and I, it's time for another one. Yeah, what did he have in mind? Who knows what he had in mind? It has strange people go, uh, uh, and it has. It seems to be some combination of vomit and uh, and. Uh, it's some, a. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, it it was a. We I had everybody read the same little block of text on a metronome, so they're all reading it in the same tempo, and then you just kind of like you take the syllables and all mash it up. And it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. I don't know. And it's, I mean, it, it does make a certain statement that, okay, you just heard all things considered, and right now the rules don't apply. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's, like a, it's like a palate cleanser, in a way. Yeah. It's like the cracker before the next wine. So, so it has that effect, which is useful. What time is this supposed to end? At 8? We have a clock that's oh, oh, counting have, down okay. right oh, there. Yeah. Episode was uh, the one with the Voyager and you know Annie Joy and Carl Sagan that thing, and I listened to the things that you guys put on the web with you know Philip Glass and Alice Waters all those things. So I feel like you guys have this really interesting amount of insight from doing this show. What would you guys put on the Voyager? Oh, the Voyager is the, a uh, is an inter inter nineteen seventy seven. Carl Sagan and his wife and a, a few others were charged with making sort of a mixtape of the human experience, putting it on a gold record, sending it out into space, so that billions of years from now, an alien would find it, somehow play the record, and maybe know about us on some level. Um, and attack planet Earth. <laughs> and attack. <laughs> um, what would I put? That's a really good question. Yeah, I would put. See, I'm not so sure that I want to say hello 
So that's why, you why? know, maybe. Are you, are you really scared of it? Well, there's a, a guy who wrote Guns, Steel, and, uh, yes, Jared Diamond. Jared, yeah, yeah. So Jared Diamond, I happened to talk to him about something else, and he said, you know, that Voyager thing was the most dangerous act that humanity has ever made. That's just silly, though. Yeah, I know. He's that's silly. Kind of a thing. But he's interested in collapse. This is, a, this, is a, this is a man who's not what we'd call an optimist. No one's going to find the record. It's not for the aliens. It's for us. It's a gesture, you know? It's, like, uh, it's as much about what we want to say about ourselves. As, I mean, the, what, the alien can't play the record. It's just not going to work. What do you mean the alien can't play the record? The alien, presumably, is a very sophisticated being. There I is a one particular Bach cello piece I would put on. That's the only one I can think of definitively at this moment. Come on, say one. I, I might... Uh, a Broadway on. show too. No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> food, glorious food from Oliver. No. I, I would put it... <laughs> I think I would put a... Uh, I would put babies laughing in, of, of multiple species. I mean, if they do laugh. I mean, I, I, would, put, I would just put the cries of babies. Um, not, 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 not the sad the cries, the happy rails. cries of babies. Oh, Beethoven. <laughs> you got Beethoven so easy. It's like a lazy answer. Uh, but good question, though. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's um, a good place to Yeah, it's a good place to end. I, I want to just uh, say thank you to the Caution for having us in the CAC and WAMU for the invite and National Public Radio and WNYC and the National Science Foundation. I was told someone might, from there might be in the house. Yay! Yay. Thank you for thank, you and all your thank money! Thank you for supporting us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making this happen. And while we are spreading thanks around, I want to thank you for listening. That was our conversation, uh, Robert and I, at the Koshland Science Museum. And uh, if you have anything to say or... Yeah, because these are questions that we pose to the audience. And, you know, if you have an opinion about our production techniques, how we uh, amend or don't amend conversation, any of the ideas brought up here, if they, yeah. if they make you curious, we'd be very curious to hear what you're thinking. That's right. Email us at radiolab.org. And Radiolab is funded by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and the National Science Foundation. I'm Jad Abumrad. And I'm Robert Krulwich. Thank you for listening. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.